Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java Junkies. Welcome to another K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. By the way, K-Cups come in three sizes, single, double, and triple shots, or roughly one minute, five minutes, or ten minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini-episodes of T4C can give you a quick caffeinated fix, whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug, because it's time for a caffeinated career triple-shot K-Cup with my guest, Benjamin Bickman. Your title is Associate Professor and Metabolic Research Scientist. What is a metabolic research scientist, Ben? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, let me actually also mention, this is a little outside your question, but uh, my rank currently is Associate Professor. And a lot of people don't know that there are ranks within academia. We just say I'm a professor. Most people aren't. Although I will be next year, I'll probably get that last rank. But when, when a professor is first hired, professor is hired at the rank of assistant professor. Now, there's no practical difference between any of these ranks. You teach, you do research. It's just a rank. And then at the time a professor gets tenure, usually, and tenure is essentially you now have a guaranteed job. Now, there can be exceptions to that that would cause the professor to lose his or her job, but it's very, very rare. You almost have to try to lose your job at that point. Now, I actually don't love tenure. I don't think anyone should ever have a job they're not actively working to keep, but that's beside the point. At the time, a professor, usually around six years, they will have the opportunity to advance to the rank of associate professor. At that same time, they will get tenure. And then about five to six years after that, where I am now, you will then put in an application of sorts to make that final advance to just full professor or just professor. Because that nuance of rank is, is not familiar to most people, we always just say professor. So that's, that's, that's kind of the nuance of academia. Now, to be a metabolic scientist is to simply have a focus on some biochemical process within a cell that is involved in the building up of molecules or the breakdown of molecules within the cell. And, and those two processes, anabolism and catabolism, both go into what is collectively just referred to as metabolism. My focus is essentially studying how insulin, the little modest, humble hormone insulin, affects those reactions. And in general, insulin is attempting to constantly promote anabolism. It only wants the cell to build things. It never wants the cell to break things down. That's a problem. And that's a problem in a state of chronically elevated insulin because now you have a cell that's aging, it's getting older, faster, and you have fat cells that can never break down their fat to share it. So the body is prematurely aging and it's getting fatter. Oh boy. 
So can you take us into, gosh, a typical day in the lab for you? Have you been able to get back into the lab? We're doing this interview in the middle of June of 2021. And what is it that you're in the process of researching right now? Yeah, yeah. So a day in the life uh, for me, it would depend on the time of year because it's summer and I'm not teaching right now. It's mostly just research and writing. And in the writing involves usually two things, writing manuscripts. So actually compiling all the data that we've put together and now writing the story that goes with it, the scientific story that we're now going to have it submitted for peer review at a scientific journal. And then hopefully at the end of it all, get accepted for publication. That's the currency of science. The currency certainly of a scientist. It is your productivity can be measured in what are you publishing? And then alternatively, you're also usually working on grants, always just trying to chase down a little more money to do the work that you want to do. Now, that is during summer balanced by some time in the lab where I'm in the lab with my students and we are doing ex- experiments to measure how are mitochondria working? What is the metabolic rate of fat cells or muscle cells when we do different things to them? So, in fact, I'll get precise there because you asked about certain projects. One of the big projects we have going on now is to study how ketones affect memory and learning and specifically how these ketones, these little molecules that, are, uh, that have a caloric value, they're nutrients that can flow in the blood when our insulin levels are a little lower. We're studying how ketones actually feed or fuel the, the cells in the hippocampus. The hippocampus is this teeny little section of the brain that is involved in memory and learning and cognition and thinking. So we're discovering more and more how ketones are not only a preferred fuel for the brain, but a better fuel. The brain has two fuels, glucose or ketones, and the brain does better when it has some ketones around. All the more reason to fast sometimes or to just control those carbohydrates to help your insulin stay low for a bit, and then you start making some ketones. Another project that we have is looking at how muscle cells can grow in response to these certain chemicals that kind of activate anabolic signaling or or growth signaling within muscle cells. And this would potentially be a therapy in people who have muscle wasting problems, like with cancer. Of course, an obvious one would be for athletes because their muscles will get bigger, stronger. Oh, fascinating. So what do you think have been the most interesting discoveries that you've landed on through researching the ties between certain molecular mechanisms and how they affect metabolic disorders such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, and dementia? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd say two really neat discoveries that we've had over the past couple of years. The first one is our publication that details how insulin will directly act to slow the metabolic rate in fat cells. Fat cells have a metabolic rate. They are living, breathing cells. They have a life to them. And uh, although the metabolic rate is very low in fat cells, we found that insulin actually depresses the metabolic rate even lower. In contrast, ketones, which the body makes when insulin is low, actually accelerate the metabolic rate in fat cells by three times. So when we look at our own fat cells, we can kind of put them to work for us by controlling our diet to keep our insulin low and our ketones a little higher, and then we can accelerate the metabolic rate in our fat cells. So that was a neat paper we published. And that was neat because we involved cell data, rodent data from lab mice, and human data. We actually pulled fat biopsies from humans 
to measure the metabolic rate from little pieces of fat from human volunteers. Then the second study that I'll mention is the paper we published with regards to Alzheimer's. And this was a very neat paper because it once again was human tissue. We had access to the hippocampus from people who had died. These were tissue donors or you know cadaver donors of people who had died with and without Alzheimer's disease. And we found that the people who had Alzheimer's disease had brains that were fundamentally less capable of using glucose for energy. However, they were perfectly capable of using ketones for energy. And so another encouragement to give your body a break from all the incessant glucose and insulin, let the ketones come up. Because if someone is on the spectrum towards Alzheimer's disease, part of the problem is your brain is going hungry because it can't use glucose as well as it used to, probably because it's insulin resistant. And all the more reason to give it some ketones, which even the Alzheimer's brain can greedily gobble up and use for energy. So give your brain a break and let it use ketones. That's one of the takeaways from that other big paper we published. So I have a couple of quick follow-ups. I think quick. How can we increase ketones in our body? You suggested fasting is one way, but is there another way that we can actually ingest ketones? And then the second point has to do with something you raised during our espresso shots interview. And that was the importance of being able to storytell, the importance of being able to write as a researcher and communicate verbally, because you can be producing the most amazing research in the world. But if you're not able to present it in a way that catches people's attention, you know, I don't want to say it's a waste of time, but it's going to be really hard to get it out there into the public sphere. Yeah. Yeah. So the first point about the production of ketones. So you, the body cannot make ketones unless insulin is low. And so the, the simplest way to do that is fasting, of course. It's the fastest way to do that. If you're not eating anything, your insulin will come down quickly and you'll make ketones quickly. Another way with dietary intervention is just to have a low carbohydrate diet or to avoid those big offenders of carbohydrates. Focus your carbs on vegetables, fruits, and lentils, and then make sure you're getting ample protein and fat because they have little to no effect on insulin. Now, to the other point you mentioned, because the benefits of ketones are getting more and more widely known, it's no surprise that people have leveraged on that fame. And now we have ketone supplements. These are referred to as exogenous ketones. Endogenous ketones are the ketones you're just making on your own, which is beneficial and, and prudent. But you can drink ketones as well to just accelerate that process. And, and these are ketone salts or ketone esters. And either of them work. The ketone ester is much more expensive, but it works much, much better. And I'm not a big advocate of people drinking ketones. My view is if you want ketones, then make your own by keeping your insulin down. Now, to your other point about having to convey information, I'm always quick to say that a good scientist is half scientist, half salesperson. You've got to sell people on the value of what you're doing, not only, of course, to get grant money, but even to just get interest in your topic. Now, it is my good fortune to study a topic that most people are naturally interested in, obesity and diabetes. But even still, there are a lot of other diabetes and obesity scientists that aren't sharing what they know. And that was part of, that was a very deliberate act on my part. About five years ago, I think that's right. About five years ago, I had reached a point of frustration in my career where I realized 
so much of what I'm learning is both so relevant. People need to learn what I'm learning, but it's also so irrelevant in that no one ever will ever see it. I will publish this paper or I'll give a talk at a scientific meeting. And the only people who will ever read it or hear it is other scientists. And I railed against that because I thought we need to share what we're learning. We metabolic scientists. And that was when I first got engaged on social media. And it was then and is still now completely a tool of disseminating scientific information. It's never me posting pictures of me working out or out with my kids and or, you know, whatever. It's only me sharing tidbits of science. I'm thrilled at how warm the response has been, but it is just reflective of this effort on my part to want to share information. And it's a fun challenge. I enjoy, even in my writing of of scientific manuscripts, I don't like being bored. I like to find new clever turns of phrase. I like to find a new way of expressing an old idea because it can get boring using the same old science speak and all the same old vernacular. I like to mix it up a bit in my writing even, although it's a little drier. But then I can certainly get a little more colorful in my expression or, you know, these these little tidbits that I do on, say, Instagram or similar. I like being able to convey that. And as you said, you have to have a bit of an entertainer aspect in you to do it well. Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.